I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. We are continuing in our mystery month, mystery pack month. This is week two, correct? Correct. Yeah. And this week's selection out of the mystery pack was the 1940, excuse me, 1979 release, 1941. Indeed. The director's cut. Collector's edition. Yeah, this is the director's cut, which you pointed out is, is significantly longer yeah, than the theatrical it's, release. It's about an hour and 24 minutes, whereas the theatrical release was just about you two You mean hours. two hours and 24 minutes? Two hours and 20, yeah, that's what I yeah. mean. Yeah, it looks like the original theatrical release was an hour and 58 minutes, mm. so we got basically an extra half hour. Yeah. I'm not sure it needed it. Which makes me very curious about how the shorter version would play. Now, I I thought that this was simply the extended cut which it is but it's the director's cut so this is the cut that steven spielberg wanted the movie to be and you generally have to trust steven spielberg so i'm guessing that the shorter version isn't as good even though this version plays way long especially at the beginning i found some interesting notes on that that i'm sure we will get to as we discuss about discuss this there's some interesting notes about things steven spielberg has said about this okay So, yeah. Which was a real change-up for him. He was trying to do something different. He'd just come off of Jaws and, and Close Encounters. Yep. Decided, I was going to make a comedy. Yeah. And this film is thought of as a flop, but it really wasn't. Now, in what mean do you? In what way do you mean it was this, not a flop? This movie made a lot of money, yeah. but it didn't make money on the scale of the earlier two Steven Spielberg films. Yeah, so it was considered a letdown from that perspective. But we might as well just go ahead and cover this since you mentioned it. This had an estimated budget of $35 million. And it looks like it has every penny, if not more. This is a huge scale film. Yeah. Uh, both in terms of special effects and cast. They did a lot of miniature modeling for this movie and things like that. But the worldwide gross for this movie was $92 million. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, you can't call that a, a commercial failure. Yeah, I wouldn't call that a flop. Its domestic gross was only $31.7 million. Uh, So basically it broke even domestically. Which is strange because this is such an American movie. You, you'd think it would have <laughs> I limited... Could see, I could see this playing better overseas. Uh, okay. I mean, within limited markets, but yeah. And it should also be pointed out that this film is dated. There's a lot of uh, humor in it that you would not do if you were to make a movie like this today. Yeah. Very much so. and otherwise. But a lot of also very familiar casting. Yeah, the cast is wonderful. We'll definitely get into that. We should talk in broad strokes about what this movie is. It's a Steven Spielberg-directed comedy, 1941. It is set a week after Pearl Harbor. It's set on Saturday, December the 13th, 1941. Mm -hmm. And it has a very large cast of characters that get caught up in a war scare that's not entirely a war scare because there actually is a Japanese sub off of the coast of California, but it has gotten lost in its attempt to find and shell Hollywood. Well, the the crew of the submarine wants to go to Hollywood. The commander wants to go to Los Angeles. And th- th- at the beginning, they talk about the difference between Los yeah, Angeles yeah. and Hollywood. But yeah, so it's kind of funny in that regard. And the script was written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Yeah. Zemeckis, of course, went on to be quite the director uh, and Bob Gale was his writing partner. They also wrote Back to the Future together, which Zemeckis produced. They wanted to make Back to the Future not too long after this film came out, but they felt like they had kind of let Spielberg down 
And so they kept insisting we got to have a big hit of our own before we'll let you produce something. That was one of the, I think, Romancing the Stone. But they had made a film between this movie and that film called I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is a comedy about a group of kids trying to get into the Beatles premiere at the Ed Sullivan Theater in 1964, which is really close to this film in a lot of ways. It's got Wendy Jo Sperber in it, who was their good luck charm in the uh, late 70s, early 80s in, in a bit part. And it's kind of got that manic, zany, screwball comedy thing that this this movie has and it's also very much set in a very very specific time it's like down to the day yeah well and this has it follows kind of i guess you could say almost three or four different plot lines there's kind of there's kind of a couple love stories there's Mm -hmm. the whole dance sequence there's the the guy with the beach house there's the yeah, there's a lot of different plot there's lines a, in it. Uh, John Belushi flying around in the plane. Now, did you realize that a lot of these plot elements are actually based on real events? Well, no, but I, I did realize that the conceit of the film, which is a Japanese attack on mainland uh, United States, actually did happen the one time. Yeah. In Garibaldi, Oregon in 1942, a Japanese bombed a forest nearby. Yeah. Not entirely sure why they bombed the forest. Well, so you have the the situation where the army comes and puts the anti-aircraft gun in the guy's front yard. That actually did happen, but it was a the yard of a homeowner in Maine. Oh, okay. The Japanese also, as you said, a submarine shelled a refinery. Uh, actually, there was a, a submarine that shelled a refinery in Elwood, California, on that coast on okay. February twenty third, nineteen forty three. And then an air raid false alarm over Los Angeles resulted in civil defense and army weapons firing into the air on the night of, nights of February 24th and 25th, 1942. And they thought they were under Japanese attack when they did that. And then, of course, the zoot suit riots between yeah. Hispanic youths and servicemen that took place in June of 1943. This movie has so many set pieces, like big set pieces. The, the house and the, the carnival at the seashore... Uh, you've got the, the planes going through downtown Los Angeles, and you've got the dance sequence, which I said as we were watching this, Rob said, what's this got to do with the rest what's of the, the movie? What's the point of this? Yeah. And I, I think this scene is the point of the movie. <laughs> it's like this movie was built around this scene. And ultimately, it's not really built around that scene. It's built around these gigantic set pieces well, that use the miniatures. Yeah, it felt like... That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, is to me it feels like this movie is built around basically three separate plot points and set pieces you know and it it it's i've never seen anything like this yeah it's it's zany is is the word that comes to mind for this yeah. film now one other qu- quick interesting note did you realize this was nominated for three oscars no any guesses on i'm gonna three? i'm gonna guess the score which is a nice john williams score and he's always nominated i believe you're mistaken on that one though visual effects Yes, visual effects. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nominated for Best Cinematography. Okay. Uh, Good-looking film. Best Sound. Okay. And then Best Effects. Yeah. Nominated for all three of those, didn't win any. Yeah. Yeah, so quick plot overview to try and give you kind of a more consolidated overview of this film. This comes from IMDb. Hysteria grap- grips California in the wake of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. An assorted group of defenders attempt to make the coast defensible against an imagined Japanese invasion. Invasion. 
In this big-budget, big-cast comedy, members of, Japan, of a Japanese submarine crew scout out the madness along with a captain in, in Germany's Kriegsmarine, their navy. Mm-hmm. Which so, is our... Uh, Christopher Lee connection. Christopher Lee. I mean, when we talk about this film, we simply have to kind of talk about this cast. Yeah. Which is... Where do you want to start on that? Well, let's just go down alphabetically here. So we got Dan Aykroyd. Uh-huh. Dan Aykroyd has, of course, the line of this movie. I hate to see Americans fight Americans. There's one thing I can't stand. It's Americans fighting Americans. Yeah. Which I commented, I really hope that Dan Aykroyd released that as his official statement about the attack on the Capitol last week. Yeah. Which would have been perfect if he did. Yeah. But I'm not sure he did. Got the great Ned Beatty as Ward Douglas, who's a father of a brood of about four. The oldest daughter is one of the love interests in the films. And mm-hmm. he's got a, a, a memorably awkward pep talk. That he With gives his daughter. his daughter before she goes out to Who's work enrolled in the USO. In the USO yeah. Is like, and it just kind of builds, and you think you know where it's going. And it's like, and Spoiler, he basically just tells her to go put out. He does. It's like, you got these young men, and they've got one thing on their mind, and why don't you show them a good time? And they're about to go to war. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that, was, that was audible. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't do that again today. You, that, that was something. Uh, John Belushi, playing the John Belushi part. Captain Wild Bill Kelso, who's not quite right. Who apparently had more scenes he, that he, he was supposed to be in in this movie, but John Belushi's nightlife yeah. kept causing him to miss filming days. Yeah, understandable. Lorraine Gray, the uh, the wife from Jaws, as the wife of uh, Ned Beatty. Yep. And Murray Hamilton, the mayor from Jaws, as Claude Crum, a reluctant plane spotter for the uh, government. The aforementioned Christopher Lee, Tim Matheson, and Tim Matheson's presence made me think this, you know, him and John Belushi are in this, so it's a Animal House reunion, you know, from the previous year. And there's elements yeah. of Animal House here, just as it is a Jaws reunion, because we've got Lorraine Gray and Murray Hamilton, you know, more Spielberg. And Spielberg has that wonderful opening sequence where he spoofs the, the, the girl going out on the beach at Zah. So did you Jaws. catch the total, all of the connections in that scene? So he's basically recreating the opening from Jaws, mm-hmm. but the beach where they filmed it is the same beach from Goonies. Oh, specifically when they line up the the piece, the three things, the three holes in the piece, you know, the mm-hmm. for the treasure map. That's that's the exact same the beach. Exact same beach. Yeah, and then of course it's also a reunion of Saturday Night Live because we've got Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. John Belushi. Yeah. Warren His Oaks. only interaction in the film is when John Belushi is on the submarine going down. He salutes Dan Aykroyd. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Warren Oates is in this. He was, of course, in uh, The Wild Bunch and many other films. Uh, Robert Stack playing, playing it straight, but being very funny in playing it straight uh, a year before the original Airplane film. Young Treat Williams, Nancy Allen, John Candy, Elisha Cook Jr., Eddie Dezen, a dummy Eddie Dezen. Bobby D. Sicko, uh, who's one of the leads in the film. He's, he's a guy that I, I don't know. I don't know what else he's from. His buddies Perry Lang. Patty Lapune is in this. Uh, J. Patrick McInera. Slim Pickens. That's a riff on his character from uh, Dr. Strangelove. One genuine blah, blah, blah. One blah, 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 blah. So that part was supposed to be shorter, but once Slim Pickens signed on to play that part they expanded that role the aforementioned wendy joe sperber joe flattery and uh, michael mckean in a brief brief bit 
And that seems to be all of uh, particular note, other than a uh, brief cameo from the director, Sam Fuller. Well, there's also Gary Carlos Cervantes. Yeah, I mean, the credits on this are incredibly long. They go on and on like the movie. Oh, and a Dick Miller cameo playing an Officer Miller. And there's a scene in which one of the other characters shouts from a rampaging tank, Hey, Miller, look at me! Yeah. Well, now we get into some of the Japanese, too. There's Akio Matimura, who plays Ashimoto. This is actually Mickey Rourke, if I'm not mistaken. This is Mickey Rourke's first. Wow. It's his film debut, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least it's a very early film for him. Yeah, did you even recognize Mickey Rourke in there? No. But there's just so much going on. It's a super kinetic film. Yep. Became Dreesen for a second there. There was a note on IMDb about how many directors are in this film. Oh, okay. You know, and things like that. People that would go on to have successful careers as directors. You know, you've got Zemeckis, Spielberg. Uh, anyways, there's several in yeah, there. Yes, Fuller. Yeah. I mean, how else do you describe this movie to somebody? I don't know. I, 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 I've been aware of this movie for a long time. It's been on my list of things to see. I know it's almost the black sheep in the Spielberg canon. Yeah. Or one of, one of a very few of them. Well, so apparently in the previews for Raiders of the Lost Ark, they include every Spielberg film except for this one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You said that you'd found some stuff about Spielberg's feelings. Well, the, everyone's feelings in, as, as well. One quick one before I go find the one about Spielberg. After this failed to ignite in the box office, John Belushi was spotted around Los Angeles wearing a t-shirt that had uh, embossed on it, Steven Spielberg, 1946 to 1941. <laughs> yeah, this was regarded as such a failure in the U.S., when the advanced teaser trailer for Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark was made, it listed Steven Spielberg's previous movies, except for this one. Hmm. Theatrical movie debut of Mickey Rourke, who plays someone named Reese. Apparently, the note I'm looking for, apparently he tried, he considered halfway through the movie turning this into a a musical. Well, it's got a heck of a dance number in it anyway. Yeah, Steven Spielberg joked at one point that he considered converting the movie into a... Uh, into a musical halfway into production and mused that in retrospect spect, that might have helped. Mm-hmm. I don't know w- whether you think that would have or not, but yeah. I, actually, I think it probably wouldn't have. It probably would not have helped. Yeah. Well, I guess it would depend on the quality of the music. I did think John Williams' score was pretty nice, though. It was Yeah. It was very Spielbergian. Yeah, when Steven Spielberg shared the news with his close friends in Hollywood that he was going to make this as his next movie... They were supportive, but apparently, privately, they didn't believe that he was actually going to make this film. And one of his friends, a top director who was quoted anonymously in an article about the rise of of mega-budget movies in the late 1970s, bluntly said, Why is he doing a comedy? When has Steven ever been funny? (laughs) I enjoyed that scene with Slim Pickens at the tree, Christmas tree tree thing. Like when like the one guy jumps his axe and things like that. I thought that was pretty entertaining. That whole Slim Pickens sequences to me, both on the mainland at the Christmas tree farm and when he's hostage in the submarine. Again, I haven't seen the half hour shorter cut of this film, but I feel like that, if it wasn't on the cutting room floor in that version, that's probably where it belonged. I mean, Slim Pickens is entertaining, but it doesn't help the movie at all. Apparently this was also the theatrical U.S. movie debut of Dan Aykroyd. Oh. 
He was pretty entertaining in this. Oh, he's great. Yeah. yeah. Dan yeah. Ackridge always great. But he had his... John Candy's in this, too. Classic delivery. Yeah, John Candy actually was... I was surprised how minor of a part John Candy was in this. He does have a that awkward recurring gag with him and the black officer where more than once he, he paints the guy's face white and then he gets flour on the guy's face. Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, this, is, this is another thing that doesn't survive the late 70s very, very yeah, well. Yeah, and a very near appearance to blackface. Yeah. Yeah, Charlton Heston and John Wayne both turned down the role of Major Joseph Stilwell. And apparently John Wayne, when he turned it down, he called Spielberg and tried to get him not to make the movie. Oh. So, oh, that's, that sounds very John Wayne. Evidently, Wayne in particular felt it was unpatriotic and a slap in the face to World War II veterans. Heston thought is thought to have turned it down for the same reasons. Yeah, what, what else would you want to say about this one? Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like I've said what I have to say about it. Yeah? It's, it's zany. There's too much going on. It'd be I'd be interested in seeing a different cut to see if it helps it or hurts it. Yeah. But I feel like there is around sixty percent a good movie here, and it just it kind of gets lost at several points. Not unlike the Japanese submarine, it's a good metaphor for itself. How would you rate this movie? I would probably. Yeah, I, I think it improves as it goes on. I I thought that the beginning was kind of slow. And, the beginning and was a little odd. Built, but yeah. The other thing that's, I guess, before we get into the ratings, did you realize this was only rated PG? No. I mean, maybe the extended cut is rated differently. It's funny because there's no nudity in it, but it feels like there, there is was. nudity. Oh, there is. At the very beginning. The, the On the beach. Oh, on the beach. But that's like, like Jaws nudity. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, and that scene with the... The, the Japanese the sailor yeah. looking up the hatch. <laughs> that yeah. was pretty entertaining. That also would not make it to a remake. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, I mean, it, this doesn't it grew stand out as me. having been rated R, mm-hmm. but I w- was surprised it was only Well, there was PG. no PG-13 in 1979. Oh, that's right. Yeah, That wouldn't come until Spielberg's next movie. But it grew on me. This, yeah. this movie did. And I liked the 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 pace at the end, it, beca- it becomes one, two, three. Yeah. For the for the last hour or so, as it just keeps accelerating and accelerating, and, and I I did enjoy that. Well, pretty much from that dance scene on. And you know the the set pieces, the 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 Ferris wheel going down the uh, the, the pier, pier, and the tank going through the paint factory, and this it's just like what crazy crap could we shove into this movie? And there's just so much of it that there was kind of a joy in that it's like what crazy thing is he going to do next oh the house is going to fall off the side of the cliff yeah it's like he just wants to wreck stuff on a gigantic scale and that's entertaining yeah I, I think I read that a bunch of those shots were filmed by like second directors and he said that he regretted not having been involved in more of those but so how would you rate it I would give it two and a half stars because it is an uneven film Again, the the first 40 minutes or so are just kind of there before it starts to, to the extent that it ever comes together, comes together. And I'd probably give it a 6 on a 10-star scale. Yeah, we're pretty pretty much the same. I would I would say 2 and 6. But yeah, so we're pretty much in the same spot on this one. So anything else to add on this if one? If you're a Spielberg completist, see it. Oh, I don't regret having uh-huh. seen it in any way. Like, yeah, it was certainly entertaining to have watched. 
and now like you can say that you've seen 1941. It feels like a film I should have seen when I was like eight. <laughs> like this feels like a film that should have just kind of like been on on a Saturday, and you, you know, walk in and out and watch parts of it. I can't believe I've never seen this on cable. Yeah, this just seems like it's a cable. It's like a basic cable movie, yeah. and I don't think I've ever seen it, even like flipping through the channels. Yeah, yeah. And it's a Steven Spielberg film. It's the forgotten Steven Spielberg film. Not forgotten for us. Yes. Yep. Well, I'm Rob, and I'm Nate, and this is Rob and Nate record a podcast. Uh, next week is Balls of Fury. So if you're listening to this and want to, you know, do some homework and, and watch ahead before you listen to our next episode, Balls of Fury is what's coming up next. So. Hold up. Yeah, this is crazy. That movie was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. You didn't enjoy the the opening sequence? You know, it took me a little while because it, you know, they're doing that Jaws thing and they're copying it. Like, pretty yeah. strong. And just like the overcast and, and, and it's like, what's happening? And this lady's kind of going jogging and she goes into the, the ocean. And I'm like, what? This is a comedy? It's like, I'm not getting any comedy vibes off that. And then you start to realize, oh, he's recreating the beginning of Joss. Okay, it is a comedy. Oh, you mentioned the John Williams uh, score. Mm -hmm. The march that he composed for it that plays at the end. Yeah. Steven Spielberg says it's one of the, that it's one of his favorite marches that John Williams has ever written. There's a few moments in it where the John Williamsness of it feels like, and I, I couldn't pinpoint the film, but it feels like he, he took elements of this soundtrack and incorporated them into some other score. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does that a lot, but yeah. So Steven Spielberg made a appearance on the documentary Stanley Kubrick, A Life in Pictures. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen that. Uh, from 2001. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, Stanley Kubrick apparently suggested this movie should have been marketed as a drama rather than a comedy. Probably would have probably would have worked either way. Just to like surprise people. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because it was funny, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I could see marketing it either way. Oh, and it, there was days filming that the background noise was so loud nobody could hear Steven Spielberg yelling "cut." So he apparently was given a a fake machine gun that shot blanks, oh. and that's how he would get people's attention to yell "cut." Like real movies of the early 1940s, Steven Spielberg planned for a card at the end of the movie, urging audiences to buy war bonds <laughs> at this theater. Uh, I, I'm, I wish that was on there. That would have made my day. Yeah. Oh, Susan Backlinney reprised her role as the first victim in Jaws, 1975, by playing the young woman seen at the beginning of the movie. Oh, wow. It's the same girl. <laughs> no wonder it looks so familiar. All told, seven directors were involved in some manner in this film. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. John Milius uh, was an executive producer. Steven Spielberg. Brian De Palma. John Landis? Oh, Brian De Palma is the one asking Slim Pickens, where's Hollywood? Okay. To which Pickens, whose character's name is Hollis P. Hollywood, answered, I'm here. It's a play on Abbott and Costello. In addition, Samuel Fuller and John Landis have cameo oh. roles. John Landis so. would cameo in anything. <laughs> Apparently, the alternate title was The Night the Japs Attacked. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, well, that's all I have. You know, all the good ones that, that I saw out of that anyway, so. Boop.